Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Hear now God's Word. Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us with many, in many ways, and, we departed, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered in the island, And landed at Syracuse, we stayed for three days. Uh, From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Putoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as as the AP Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, You may be seated. So we have arrived at the last chapter of Acts, just as the Apostle Paul arrives at Rome. This is the 53rd sermon in this series, and Lord willing, uh, there will be one more after today. I am happy about getting to the end, but I am sad about leaving the story. Chapter 27 ended with this description of what happened after the ship, remember, that was carrying 276 passengers, was in a great storm and floundered uh, in the, and wound up in the Bay of Malta, a little island in the Mediterranean south of Italy. And we read in chapter 27, but the centurion wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose. Remember, some of the men were going to Escape, and, and the others were going to—they were going to kill the other prisoners. Paul told them not to do that, and so he commanded that those who could swim jump overboard and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. 
So this was a confirmation of the promise that God had made to the apostle in a night vision on the ship when everyone was certain that all hope was lost, that the ship was going to go down and they would all perish. But as Paul had prophesied, not a single person lost their lives. Phoenician sailors had originally given this island the the name Malta, which means refuge. I'm going to take a couple of side trips today in this sermon. Sometimes I call it pastoral privilege. Um, It'll remind me of something. But one of my favorite books that I ever read was the book on the siege of Malta. So this same island in 1565, the great Ottoman Empire, the Muslim Empire, the Turkish Empire was expanding all over the place. And uh, they decided to sail down to Malta and stage their ships in preparation to move further westward. And so at the island at that point, because I believe partly because of this landing of Paul and the gospel being preached, uh, there were many Christians at Malta, including the Knights of Malta, who were famous for their hospitals, particularly hospitals to treat eye ailments. Uh, So they're there doing hospital work, but here come the Turks to this little island. And they send word to Spain and ask for the Spanish Armada to come, but Spain does not want to risk sending their ships out there to have the Turks destroy them, and then they would be left completely vulnerable to invasion. And so they couldn't get any help from further west. So here we are with uh, about... Uh, a band of a small band of the Knights of Malta, along with about 6,000 Maltese uh, natives who were there uh, working with the Knights. And so there's this great clash between Islam and Christendom. So 30,000 Turks thought that they would take this little island in two weeks. And I'm not going to take up the sermon, which I could easily do telling this story, but, but cut to the chase. So they thought they, 30,000 Turks thought they'd take this little island in two weeks, and six weeks later, there were 15,000 dead Turks, and the Ottoman Empire never advanced further west. In fact, it began to fall apart because of this little incident in history. So my point is, Malta is a pretty important place. Remember, we got the, the Bay of St. Paul that's named after this incident where the ship is run aground in Malta. But back to Paul and his situation. (coughs) It's November, so the survivors are cold, they're wet, they just came out of the ocean, and they are exhausted. Paul had learned what we must all learn, which is that our lives are in God's hands. And this enables us to be calm. It enables us to be faithful under the worst of circumstances. I was reminded of Stonewall Jackson, who famously said, My religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself with that, but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live and all would be equally brave. And so we see the Apostle Paul here in that same circumstance. God's told him he's going to Rome. He didn't didn't tell him all the details of what all he would have to go through to get there or how long it would take, but here he is. 
And so I do want to take one more uh, pastoral detour this morning, and this one is more pastoral. Paul, along with many other Christians, uh, uh, along with many other Christians that we have met in the book of Acts, have known some real hardships, real hardships. We read about them, we admire them because of their self-sacrifice, because of their unwavering loyalty to Jesus Christ. They are not only willing to die for him, they are willing to do what is often far more difficult, and that is they are willing to live for him. They understood that following Jesus starts, starts with self-denial. Starts with laying down your life, taking up your cross to follow him. That's the beginning of what it means to be a Christian. They understood that to be a true Christian was an all or nothing proposition. As Jesus unequivocally said, and he who does not take up his own cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. There's no soft version here. The call to follow Jesus is total. You see, we must trust God's word in every circumstance of life, good or bad, happy or unhappy, and that is the only way to Christian maturity. We are called to believe. We are called to trust and obey in every circumstance. We don't get to just do it our way, even if it's hard. We don't get to cave in because I'm not happy right at this moment, and my happiness is is the most important thing. I remember R.C. Sproul made the statement. I really, it stuck with me. God is far more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. We don't get to quit following Jesus because it's become inconvenient, and we don't get to or because we don't want to obey Him right now. Everyone wants to follow Jesus when it's easy, but the point where it matters is when it costs you something. And you don't get to do it your way, and then I'll ask forgiveness later. He is not playing games with us, and if you're not serious, then quit. Many have. And don't let your cheap justifications deceive you into thinking that Jesus is somehow okay with your disobedience. He is not going to answer your prayer by giving you a pass. As the book of Hebrews warns, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confession steadfast to the end. You and I have made serious commitments to Jesus and to one another. We have made promises. We have made vows. And God is going to hold us to our words. The history of God's people in the book of Acts is given to you and it's given to me so that we would learn to trust God even in the direst of circumstances. Now back to Malta. The natives, 
The Greek word is the Greek word for barbarian. That's what Luke uses here. The barbarians, it's kind of interesting because when we think of barbarians, we think of rather crusty, hard uh, people. And what it says is the barbarians were unusually kind and hospitable. Not exactly what we think of when we think of barbarians, but the Greeks generally thought of anybody who wasn't Greek as barbarians. So they build a bonfire for warmth and food, and Paul then, he, he pitches in, and he's out gathering wood and sticks for the fire. And as this fire is getting bigger and bigger, it's getting warmer and warmer, and there was a viper who was perhaps in one of the bundles of sticks and now has been warmed up. And, of course, when snakes warm up, they get active. And um, this viper comes out because of the heat, and the text says, fastened onto his hand. Uh, so there was no maybe here about whether he was bitten. This thing is attached to his hand and has not letting go, and everyone saw it. It was uh, not something that happened in the dark. Now, some critics of this text have pointed out that there are no venomous snakes on Malta. Well, there aren't any in Ireland either, but there used to be. There are no more snakes on Malta today due to the population growth and development, but neighboring islands still have the horned viper, which is the most poisonous snake in Europe. This is probably what bit Paul, as the islanders all watched and expected the toxins to take over and kill this prisoner who had escaped from the sea. The critics also claim that vipers don't strike and hold on, but there are many exceptions to this. Sometimes the fangs get hung or hung in a piece of clothing or all kinds of explanations for this. You see, the critics were not there, but Luke was. The real problem the critics have with uh, is the fact that this was a miracle, and that's the one thing critics of the Bible don't allow. Because if there are miracles, and if the Bible is true, then the critics are in a heap of trouble. The critics, you you see, have their own critic, and that's God himself. Now, the world of the natives, uh, worldview of the natives caused them to interpret this event, and so they drew the conclusion that Paul must be a murderer, and justice has just bitten him on the hand. And so they attribute this to Nemesis, the mythological god for vengeance, and they watched to see if Paul would swell up and die, but he didn't. Never mind, he must be a god. So they got it wrong twice. The false notion that all suffering is a form of divine retribution must be challenged. Did the shipwreck or the snake bite indicate that God was angry with Paul? You see, there are, in fact, many explanations as to why believers face trouble. And Paul had already written about this to the Roman Christians in the book of Romans two to three years earlier. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, he says, and not only this, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Paul had a perspective on what had happened in his life, and now these were things happening after he wrote that, and I have no doubt 
that he still looked at all these circumstances the same way. And that's the way we are to look at the circumstances of our lives. So God had Paul on Malta for a reason, even if all the reasons were still a mystery to him or a mystery to us. God has you in your circumstances to see if you will be a true follower of Jesus Christ in the hardships. Not running away from the hardships, but facing the hardships. What does he want me to do now? How does he want me to respond to this? What does he say? Not, not, not what do I want. Not how can I get out of this. Not how can I find some justification for walking away. What does he want me to do to honor him? Now, it's interesting. Here we have the shipwreck. We have the snake bite. We have other things. And I'm thinking about the passage at the end of Mark's gospel where we read these words of Jesus. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So virtually every one of these signs took place in the life and the ministry and mission of the Apostle Paul. In fact, we're now going to see another example. Not only has he just been bitten by a snake, a viper, and shaken it off, but in verse 7, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened, as it happened, uh, that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now, Publius was probably the governor of Malta, or at least a very high-ranking official, and the father of Publius likely had Maltese fever, which came from a specific bacterium that's found in the milk of Maltese goats. It was similar to malaria in that it would recur in patients if they survived it initially. They would get very sick with a high fever and dysentery, and then sometimes it would go into remission, and then it might come back in six months, and maybe even throughout their lifetime it would come back. The virus would never leave. And so Luke diagnosed it, and Paul healed it. Remember, uh, we are on the front edge of the gospel, and the signs of the apostles are the means of God authenticating the gospel message. So lines of people form to receive healing, and God then is still using this prisoner who's still wearing his chains to minister and to preach the gospel in this circumstance. These people honored Paul and his companions as tokens of their gratitude, uh, uh, and Malta will ultimately have many churches and become famous again for its hospitals and ministry to others. 
Verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship. They were in an Alexandrian ship that sunk, but apparently this is another Alexandrian ship that had wintered in the harbor in Malta, and now it's ready to go. The weather conditions are better. And its figurehead were, uh, was the twin brothers, which had wintered in the island, at the island and landed at Syracuse. We stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. So the name of this ship, like other ships, came from the decoration that was carved into the prow of the ship. And uh, this ship has the mythical twins, Castor and Pollux. The story was that Pollux was inconsolable and eventually begged his father, Zeus, to allow him to die so that he could join his dead brother, Castor. Moved by Pollux's love for his brother, Zeus agreed to keep them together for eternity. Uh, They spent half their time in the underworld and the other half in the heavens, and they are represented by the constellation Gemini. And Gemini was considered good luck for the ancient mariners. According to David Peterson, these so-called sons of Zeus were regarded as the deities responsible for ensuring the smooth sailing of ships. And so they board this ship with the twin brothers at the head, and they land at Syracuse, which was the major city of Sicily. They stay for three days. They pass through the Strait of Messina to Regium, which is on the toe of the boot of Italy, to give you some idea of where that is. In Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, uh, these allegedly, uh, uh, that's the area that's allegedly involved in his stories. The Strait of uh, Messina was greatly feared by sailors in antiquity, mainly because of the rocks rocks and the whirlpools uh, known as uh, Sicula and uh, Charybdis which were personified as female monsters in Greek mythology. It's a really narrow area where they're going to have to sail through, and it's very treacherous. Uh, And it's separated by the eastern tip of the island of Sicily and the southern uh, island mainland region of uh, Calabria. So the sudden narrowing of the land forces the sea to behave very unpredictably with whirlpools and vortexes, Uh, occurring throughout the waters of the strait, and this fueled the Greek and Roman myths and legends about sea monsters inhabiting those waters. The two best-known myths are uh, 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 Scalia, the monster dog on the one side, who who would allegedly snatch a sailor or two off the ship. they just disappear. Or uh, uh, Charybdis, a whirlpool that could swallow an entire ship. And so uh, they were between a rock and a hard place here. So Odysseus or Ulysses favored uh, Sekula because it was lower risk. He might only lose a couple of uh, sailors that way, so he would favor in that direction. Anyway, this is just some background here. It's interesting that Luke provides us this little bit of background information. But that's what's in the minds of sailors who are on these ships too. So they took these things pretty seriously. And so these two mythical lady sea monsters were ravenous and mean. In other words, all the dangers were not behind them. And all of our dangers, by the way, are not behind us. After one day, verse 13, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Patoli, 
where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Apia Forum and Three Ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took refuge. David Peterson writes, even as a prisoner, Paul was being afforded something like his own triumphal entry into Rome. When these believers hear that Paul arrived, they do what citizens often would do with a visiting, returning emperor or general. They come out some distance, about 30 miles at least, uh, to meet him and to escort him back into the city. So Paul, remember, had written to the Roman Christians two or three years earlier, but he himself had never been there. But in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul had written this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayer. So th- these very Christians who are coming out to meet him, he's been praying for them for about three years. Making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So for three years, I mean, we, we do this here, right? We pray for brothers and sisters throughout the world that we've never met. Perhaps we will meet some. But it, this isn't some cold, indifferent thing. Paul longs to see them. He says, I want to see you because you're going to encourage me and I'm going to encourage you. God sovereignly and providentially brought Paul to his intended destination. Yes, predestination. And he will do the same for you and me. Now, when Paul came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoner to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. We can speculate quite a bit about why that is. We've already seen Paul had great favor with his Roman guard. I suspect he had led him to Christ. And he is treating him very well. He's giving him special privileges. Paul, remember, is the one who really rescues and saves the whole ship. Uh, So he has everybody's attention. Derek Thomas commented, Paul had announced his great ambition to reach the city of Rome while in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, seven or eight years before this. About four years later at Corinth, Paul was given a promise by God You must testify in Rome, in Acts 23.11. And all the years Rome had been the focal point of his missionary endeavors, now at last he was at the imperial city. God had worked uh, worked things out in an extraordinary way to bring him to this point. But think about all the detours, whether it's prison or shipwrecks, all the missionary journeys, How many people heard the gospel along the way? It wasn't just the big grand, let me get to Rome and preach the gospel. But all those other places were important too. God was doing things in every place all the time. Indeed, Paul had already thought that, uh, Romans 8, 28, he already had that thought that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, 
and are called according to his purpose. That was his operating principle. So in God's mercy, Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He would write to the Philippians during this period, and in in that letter he says this, that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. A couple of years prior to his arrival in Rome, he had written in Romans 15, verses 29 through 33, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. We see God answering these prayers, prayers being offered all along for years. And now here at the end of the book of Acts, these prayers are being answered. Little did Paul know at the time how God would fulfill his ambition. God's ways are not our ways, but his plan is unstoppable, and you may not see all the fruit. By the way, Paul's, the, minute, the fruit of Paul's ministry is still being seen today, right now, in you, in us, in the world, all over the place. But all the world is serving the plan of God. We, we're simply called to be faithful to make the most of evil days. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. God has us. Remember, we're part of this story of Acts 2. We're still the people of God. We're the body of Christ. We're his witnesses. Right now, this journey that Paul is coming to an end, as it were, in Rome is just the beginning. It keeps going. It keeps going. It's still going. And we are part of this story. Therefore, all the things we see in Paul, all the faith, all the prayers, all the opportunities, all the difficult circumstances that God turned into opportunities, all of that is what we are supposed to be doing as well. Because he's not finished. His kingdom is still advancing. It's all over the earth. Right then it was still just kind of in Rome and in the Middle East. It's about to break forth to the whole world. And it's still reverberating. You and I are called to be missionaries to always represent Christ and be his witnesses everywhere to the uttermost part of the ends of the earth. And by the way, we begin that where? In our marriages, where we represent Christ and the church. In our labors, in our giving, in our prayers, in our service, and in the good times and in the bad times. 
Paul's benediction in 1 Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, make you holy completely, make you mature. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. You can't get a better guarantee than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your spirit, your power, your purpose, your plan, your wisdom. We thank you that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you that you have set before us a mission, a mission to take the gospel to the world, to those around us, to our families, to every nook and cranny of this earth. We thank you that you preserve the record of the book of Acts to tell us how this began against all odds, an impossibility according to men. And yet many, many believed the word and continue to believe the word because the word is powerful. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Help us, Lord, to be faithful ourselves. In all circumstances, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table, I want to come back and emphasize a couple of things about facing difficulty, facing hardships. Sometimes facing things that appear to us to be impossible. We say things like, well, that won't work. I don't see how that can work. I know God wants me to do this. He wants me to obey Him and trust Him, but I don't see how that can work out. And so I'm tempted to take matters into my own hands and do it my way. To not believe Him, to not trust Him, to really question Him. Isn't that what happened in the garden? Has God said that the day you eat of that you'll surely die? Well... Maybe he was mistaken. Maybe he didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe I know better. I thought of the old hymn, one I heard many times growing up. It was often a hymn of invitation sung in a Baptist church. But I really liked the words. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do. Where he sins... We will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Which is just a reflection of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord 
is everlasting strength. Or again in Proverbs 3, 1 through 7, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So the heart of this is what we see in Paul, what we see in many of the believers in Acts, and what we're to see in our own lives is regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether we think we're going to live or die, or whether we're going to get out of this or not get out of this, we, no matter what, are going to trust and obey him. And then we're going to see him deliver in, in amazing ways. Let us come and eat and remember these truths. Father, go before us now and use us for your glory. May we be salt. May we be light. May we be life. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen.